Hi, everyone, and thank you all for being here today. At this time, I welcome our Master of Ceremonies, Dr. Lakeisha James. She's the CEO and founder of Designer Events by Lakeisha James. Welcome. Thank you, Gigi. Now again, good evening. Welcome to the Global Virtual Panel of Veterans event. I am again, Dr. Lakeisha James, your Master of Ceremonies for the evening. Tonight, we will hear from veterans sharing their stories on behalf of Life Service Center of America, LLC, and Regeline Sabat. Again, we welcome you. I would like to introduce our host, Regeline Sabat. She's a motivational keynote speaker, five-time best-selling author, life coach, first-generation Haitian American, the host of Walk With Me podcast on JRQ-TV, financial expert and CEO and founder of Life Service Center of America, LLC, and endorsed by Les Brown. Thank you so much, Gigi, for this opportunity. Okay, and our first speaker will be our keynote speaker, Dr. Rodley Rotos. Dr. Riley completed his undergraduate degree at Barry University in North Miami, Florida, where he received his Bachelor's of Science in Biology with a major in Chemistry. Dr. Riley then attended University of Bridgeport in Connecticut, where he completed his Master's of Science in Acupuncture and Doctorate in Naturopathic Medicine. Dr. Riley, during his time at the University of Bridgeport, also served in the United States Army as part of the New York Army National Guard for six years, through which he grew a special interest in working with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, as a lot of people know it, patients. As a result, completed his thesis on understanding and treating PTSD using a naturopathic approach. Dr. Rodley served a tour with a New York Army National Guard unit in Kuwait and Iraq in support of Operation Inheritance Resolve 2016-17. Dr. Rodley has also been co-authors of two articles published by naturopathic doctors news and review relating to PTSD and TBI and now is the author of his first book trauma to PTSD root causes to healing branches Dr. Riley has his own clinic where he sees clients both in person and virtually ladies and gentlemen please welcome our keynote speaker Dr. Riley welcome hi. hi Dr. Lakeisha and thank you very much for having me here today I'm truly honored to be part of this event so I'm just going to quickly share my screen here so that we could have a quick PowerPoint that I would like to utilize. Are you guys able to see that there? Yes. Okay. All right, so again, my name is Dr. Radley Ramdan. I'm a naturopathic doctor and licensed acupuncturist. I uh, recently published my book, Trauma to PTSD Root Causes to Heal and Branches. So as always, it's always good to start off with a little bit about yourself. So um, how did I get into the military? It was a childhood dream, um, both myself and my younger brother, ever since we were kids, we've always had a draw towards the military. Um, during my time at Barry University, I've had a recruiter met with me and talked to me about joining. And I kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off until I finally decided one day it's time. And I told myself that I would rather do something and regret doing it than not doing it and later on in life regret actually doing it. So again, I'm honored to be a veteran. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to serve. And I definitely don't regret every opportunity that I've had to serve my country. So again, today's topic is trauma to PTSD. This is what I'm gonna be talking about and then root causes the healing branches. So here I have a picture that shows three signs, past, present, or past, now, and the future. When I talk about trauma and PTSD, I like to think of there's a connection between the past and the future. 
and even our present situation. When it comes to stress, if you think of stress as a boiling pot, use an analogy of a boiling pot, our self is the boiling pot. Inside the pot is our emotions, our actions and stuff like that. The, on top of the pot, we have what is called our past traumas and our past um, activities, be it from transgenerational trauma, ancestral trauma, even our own individual trauma and stresses that we've been through. So think of the cover as everything from the past. The present now is the fire under the pot. As we all know, every day we go through life, there's some type of stressor, some type of activity that puts us on auto, gives us that extra nudge. Sometimes we enjoy it, sometimes we don't. Right. So think of now our everyday stressor constantly adding that fire to the bottom of our pot. What happens when the pressure on top of the pot is too much that it's weighing us down and we're unable to let things go that are inside. As we all know, when our water is boiling and our pot eventually converts from liquid to gas and with that pressure increases. So now think of the pressure increasing inside the pot. What happens if it's too much pressure on top is it becomes explosive. So we've heard the saying of the straw that broke the camel's back. I like to think of trauma and PTSD sometimes being associated with that because sometimes it's little activities that happen in our life that causes these severe reaction. And this is where that um, idea of the straw that breaks the camel's back being played into our present. So that is showing that within our, our past, we all have things that happen that contributes to our current situation. The idea of trauma to PTSD, again, also talks about, if you think of it, especially from a veteran perspective, 10 soldiers go on a specific mission and they all come back home, five out of the 10 end up developing PTSD and out of five are perfectly normal, even though they've all experienced the same situation. So what contributes towards them developing PTSD versus the other ones who didn't? A lot of time it just has to do with some of the past traumas. And again, going back to that analogy of the stress on top of the pot, if we were unable to deal with those types of stress before and process it as we go along, it makes it easier for an individual to develop PTSD. So I know our goal today is to try to bring hope and show that yes, there's a positive side to everything else, right? So the five people that develop PTSD, what do they do then? We understand that there are root causes that could contribute to us developing PTSD. So what do we do next? What are our healing branches? There's actually a lot of different things that we could utilize. Um, the Veteran Association, um, the Veteran Hospital, these are all simple things that we have access to. But beyond that, we are always taught that talk therapy is one of the first options that we go towards. And what I do with patients and I've done for myself as well, is that I've used writing as a big part of the healing process for me. Um, with that being said, the idea of utilizing something else besides talking is that a lot of times we come back home and we don't necessarily feel like we could relate to civilians. And sometimes we meet with a civilian therapist, so it's difficult for us to open up our own personal story. So what we need to do is find a way to channel 
those unspoken words and created into actual words that we could let out. And by doing that, we utilize creative means. So you could use art therapy, you could use writing, you could use drawing, you could use music, um, you could use exercise, whatever it is. Once you find a way to allow you to express those things in a creative way is what is important. So a lot of times people find it difficult to move on with PTSD because they struggle in finding the right person or the right approach that allows them to overcome their situation. Again, they go back to that reflection and saying, look, I can't connect to this person. I don't know. I don't feel ready. I'm not comfortable. I don't identify my trauma. I don't see what I've been through as being traumatic or we start comparing it to other people's trauma because we find it difficult to one, accept it for ourselves, but two, find that right approach to channel it. So my message here today is even though it do take time sometimes for us to find that healing branches, it's important to keep trying until we do get to that point, right? So again, writing, art, music, whatever, it is, sometimes it's just finding something that you like and channeling that energy towards that. And another way in terms of art is sometimes even within art itself, you could use colors to represent emotions. You could use style of shadings to represent letting go of things versus putting things out onto the paper. Once you start channeling those energy that has been bottled up inside into these creative ways, it makes it a lot easier for you to let go of those things. And then you even find it even after that, that it becomes easy to actually talk about some of these same things that we struggle with. So here I have a picture of some with the word purpose in it. And this is something a lot of veterans do struggle with when we come back home. We find it difficult to find purpose within the civilian life. So it's always important for everyone that's listening here, be it a veteran or be it members of a veteran family, helping a veteran find their purpose sometimes could help them with a lot of the struggles that they go into. So just thinking of the purpose that you have as an individual in your life as a veteran, as an active duty military, once you find that purpose, it gives you a segue or a line in towards finding that hope that we want to so find here. So next I want to share um, a little topic here with you guys that I've actually done with my own writer. So I'm just going to escape Right, so the name of the poem that I wrote, this is something that I wrote when I came back home and I utilized, like I said, I utilized writing as a means of creating a pathway of channeling that energy um, back into something creative and more positive. So this is entitled, Which Way to Go, right? So where there's hope, sometimes there's none. Where there's light, a shadow of darkness may follow. We see what we want in a room of... In a room, a ray of hope among the darkness. Or is it darkness overcoming our hope? It's a snapshot in time, a picture to paint a thousand words. No idea of what is behind, no clue of what lies ahead. Are we moving forward? Or have we been reflecting? It's a picture of a moment. We are free, or are we really? We choose a path to travel, a view to hold. Are we in the direction of hope, or did we turn away? No, it's a frozen moment. We have to accept the darkness on one side, the light on the other. Who are we and where do we stand? Amongst the many in the moment, now which way do we go? 
So again, this just shows that utilizing writing is one form of helping me get things out that I've struggled with. And the way I utilize writing with patients is try to make it as free as possible and allow the individual to make it as personal as possible. There's no need to have necessary structure behind it because sometimes with the structure, it restricts us. So connecting to something that you like, um, something that you enjoy doing and utilizing that as a means of creating hope, as a mean of creating that energy and allowing ourselves to let go of our trauma and our struggles is always important. So thank you again. And I do hope everyone enjoyed the remainder of this event. Um, here are some of my contact information, Facebook and Instagram. I use Universal Tree Health Clinic on YouTube. It's Dr. Adley Ramden. And my book's website is www.traumatoptsd.com. So once again, I thank everyone for being here. And I thank everyone that has been part of this event, hosting this event. So I'm really grateful to be in part of this event and I'm looking forward to the success and hearing everybody's story. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Radley. Thank you, Dr. Radley. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Our next speaker is Lachelle Akins. Lachelle Atkins, I'm sorry, is known to the world as America's Supermom. She does a lot, child. She does a lot. Lachelle is a survivor of depression. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our next speaker, Lachelle Atkins. Well, thank you so much for that intro. And thank you so much, uh, doctor, for your presentation. Uh, it really inspired me to share something at the end of my talk uh, relating to uh, the importance of writing. Uh, but I am America's Supermom. My husband and I have 15 children, and I am excited to be here today on behalf of being a spouse of, of a veteran. My husband is a retired major, and uh, there are a number of things that I've learned through this experience of him serving our country and dedicating his life to the freedoms and the protection of our uh, great nation. So there's three things that I kind of want to focus on, and that is commitment, service, and community. These are the pillars that I can really uh, lean back on when it comes to my personal life, professional life, and the example that I choose to uh, show to my children and people that are in my community. The first element of commitment. You know, my husband and I have been married for 29 years and uh, his service in the military of 24 years has taught me the value of sticking to whatever you decide to commit to, uh, having an attitude that you're going to do what it takes. And there are some non-negotiables when it comes to certain obstacles that you're faced with. If you decide from the very beginning to be committed, then it is very important for you to have that attitude and mindset till the very end. We have many challenges and obstacles, as you can see in our great nation today, uh, dealing with pandemics. And uh, now we're, we have wars that are uh, overseas and just the mindset of understanding that we never know what is going to come that's outside of our control. But if we decide to commit to it, uh, sometimes the options can appear in ways that we weren't looking for them because we've made that uh, mindset and that clarity to stick with it no matter what. So commitment was one pillar that I learned. The next one is service. 
really being there and understanding the value that you bring to other people. Uh, a lot of times we look at our life and we think it's not glamorous. You know, everybody is not a Beyonce or a Les Brown, as we mentioned him earlier, but it is the little things that we do every day that can have an impact and can help us make this world a better place. You know, it's something as simple as holding a door open for someone at the grocery store or um, giving someone a smile. That's something that I like to do. Um, in dealing with my depression, I now have a daily mantra to smile to keep sickness away. And that's the acronym for the five pillars that a smile means to me and reminding me of how to have self-care. And those elements are sleep, mood, inner voice, laughter, and energy. So that's what a smile means to me. For my time being depressed, it was 13 years and three hospitalizations. I have learned that those are the pillars that are necessary for me to monitor every day so that I do not slide back into some of those dark spaces that were hard for me to get out of. And then the last pillar is community. Uh, one of the things that I could say with the military is we do have a family mindset, but I chose to use the word community because we find during times of serving in the military, whether we're a spouse or an actual soldier, that our family takes on a different dynamic. Our families don't uh, consist of people that don't look like us. They don't sometimes share the same culture. They're not our same age not the same gender, right? Age, a number of things. So it's a community mindset. It is the idea that, you know, we're in this together. We are choosing to take this job seriously and we're gonna do whatever it takes. We're gonna put aside some of the differences that, you know, a lot of us struggle with. And as we observe in the nation today about race and gender equality, age, you know, sexism, all these isms, you know, those are really uh, very far in the background when it comes to military service. Uh, I learned so quickly how to get along, how to appreciate people for their differences. You know, as a, a spouse to the uh, soldier, we came together with all the spouses and we let our children play together. We shared recipes and things that really helped to uh, keep that thread uh, together because, you know, my husband had to work 16 hour days. He was called up to active duty, which is what got us to Georgia now, uh, because he was training the troops to go over and fight during Operation Enduring Freedom. And so uh, those days look different than what we were used to, you know, having him leave when it was dark and come back home when it was dark. And so uh, community is very important. And I think right now as a nation, it's important for us to remember that, you know, we need to be mindful of what it is that we're trying to win at. And we want to win with everyone having a seat at the table, everyone feeling seen and heard, and us all coming together as a team, as a community to work to foster an environment where people can trust and feel that they matter and that they are a part of the solution rather than the problem. So I love the fact that um, our keynote speaker spoke about writing uh, because that is one of the pillars now that is very important to me in terms of 
getting out of my own head. You know, a lot of my depression was uh, me beating myself up. You know, other people on the outside didn't know always that I wasn't in the best of moods, but it was me and what I was saying to myself. So when you're able to write and get things out of your head, it really helps you to have a lot more clarity. So I want to thank you again for this opportunity. And I'm going to conclude with a poem that I wrote a few days ago, and it is entitled Never Alone. Thank you, Lord, for this day. I wake up this morning remembering the dream vividly how I could have been all alone. I could have been on my back with sickness. However, because he is with me, I am never alone. And anything I encounter, he is, it is for his glory. As I look back at yesterday, I can see how he was with me and leading me. If I am only willing to listen, as I recall all the times I believed that I was all alone, I now can reframe that and realize that God was always there. How can I even think to live in ego when I now see that all glory belongs to God and it was never at all about me? Thank you guys so much. And I'm looking forward to hearing the other speakers. Wow. Lovely poem. Thank you, Lachelle. Thank you, Lachelle, for sharing your story. Our next speaker is Tanja Anderson Dale. Tanja Anderson Dale is a best-selling author of the book, Gifts from a Glacier, The Quests of an American Flag and 52 Souls by Tanja Anderson Dale. Blue Star Mom, Gold Star Family Member, and she is a member of Women in Aviation. Tanja Anderson Dale has 20 years of geological research. Tanja is an advocate for operational loss, servicemen and women, and she is an advocate for the families of these men and women. Tanja has a search for missing operational lost military planes overseas and on U.S. soil. Tanja has also named a mountain peak in Alaska, Globe Master Peak after the servicemen that died on Mount Garnett in 1952. Tanja is a mother of four and grandmother of three, and she has foster children. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our next speaker, Tanja Anderson-Dale. Well, thank you, Dr. James and Gigi and the panel. When Gigi asked me to speak, I wasn't so sure because I have not served. However, she said my story would bring awareness to what I fight for. Um, the nosy granddaughter, and I just couldn't understand how my grandfather went missing in a military plane in 1952. I wrote my first letter in 1999 asking for information about this plane. My grandfather and 51 other servicemen were going from Washington to Anchorage, Alaska when the plane got off course and crashed into the mountain peak. From 1952 up until my first letter, the plane was still missing. Um, in 2012, a Blackhawk team doing the training mission actually found my grandfather's plane. And as of today, my grandfather remained and 43 other servicemen have been found and returned home to their loved ones. What I learned in all of this was that the military has a void for family members such as myself and we're considered operational loss. Meaning when we're going from one duty station into the other and we're not in action after the initial search, the military doesn't look for us or our, our servicemen and women and even their loved ones who takes hoppers. And so for me, that was something that was sore for me because my grandfather and all these men died while serving their country, not necessarily active duty, but they did still die serving their country. So I started a nonprofit called Honored Bound and Honored Bound for me is meaning that I'm honored bound to help fight, advocate and search for all these men and women and bring closure to the families 
such as myself, like I've received. Um, as of today, I currently look for, I currently have seven planes right now that I actively look for. All of them are on US soil. And it's kind of hard to believe that these planes are in our backyard. A bulk of our planes are currently in Alaska. Um, my grandfather's is went missing in 1952, as I stated, but also in that month alone, the first one went missing in the seventh, another one on the 15th, and then his on the 22nd, all in November, which brought awareness that there's a lot of planes that was going missing in Alaska. A lot of family members started reaching out to me once they heard my story and my fight and asked me to fight for them and advocate for them. And as of today, I've got one plane that was actually found by myself and a group of us in 2016. And I currently advocate for them to get boots on the ground with our military. And that's not easy when a lot of people don't know that this, there's a void such as this. Everybody automatically assumes when we say missing that they're missing in action. And the group that you guys see everywhere in my POWs, that that same group will look for these servicemen and women. In reality, that they don't. And so when I fight and I advocate, I try to bring awareness to this and to uh, show the families that they're not alone. Uh, as of right now, there is no database in our government that even tracks these planes. So at the end of the night, I actually go through a reel of accident reports, page after page, looking for these planes so that I can be able to create a database to help track down these families who don't reach out to me, but also let them know that we need to become a group and advocate and fight and become a voice, such as what I do now, to bring awareness to us because we need to know that our servicemen and women are appreciated and loved and recognized like we do POWs every day. Um, my book, Honored Bound, as she spoke about, it was my, it talks about my fight going up against our government because I received a no from the Air Force, which my grandfather was uh, part of, but also the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard, and um, the Army. So this it's not just one branch, it's all branches across the board. My book tells you about the fight and it actually talks about my letters. I get a copy of letters and all that, but also showing the different uh, military planes, uh, excuse me, funerals that I had attended to kind of show an awareness and what the families need to always understand that when our politicians get out there and that they ask you for their vote, you go back and you ask them for help to advocate for your loved ones. And that's what I also do. Um, this coming summer, I'll be in Alaska again, looking for another three more planes. Um, and in total, that's 300 servicemen in Alaska right now that I'm looking for. I got an honor and a chance to actually find a, it was a Tuskegee Airman. His plane went missing in 1944. This past August, I was able to be there as they brought his, his cannons and his guns off the bottom of Lake Huron. And um, for me, I want it to be on this panel and to be honored so that I can be able to speak and bring awareness to my fight and to understand, you know, bring awareness and to show you guys that there's a void out there. So every day when you guys get out there and your loved ones, such as your husband, um, out there and they're serving their country, that there's families such as myself that we don't get recognized. We're not even thought about. We're not even tracked in our government system. And when Gigi asked me to speak, I wanted to be honored to come out here and bring awareness to, to this and our fight and our cause. And to Gigi and Dr. James and you panel, thank you for listening to my story. Thank you, Tanja. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing your story. That's amazing Thanks. and also interesting. <laughs> our next speaker is France Andre. 
France Andre is a writer and author at lifewaythinking.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our next speaker, France Andre. Yes, greetings. My name is Franz Andre, and I live in North Texas. I'm blessed, and I thank God that I have learned how to manage my PTSD, and I count it all joy for Gigi to have given me uh, an opportunity to here today to share what I'm going through as far as treatment and the help that is available for you as a veteran. I find it to be a blessing here with you uh, today, along with my fellow panel members of this global uh, virtual panel of veterans. And I salute you as a veteran. Um, I, have, with, I, I am a retired veteran um, of the military for 20 years of service. Also, I have retired from the Department of Defense. I have attended Upper Iowa University and graduated cum laude with a business degree. I am also a licensed minister of the gospel. I am currently a nonfiction book as uh, Dr. Lukisha had mentioned. I have written uh, three books, uh, which is Cannot Personally Handle the Ways of Truth and Life. Um, now I have another book that's coming out, which is dedicated to all veterans, our soldiers, veterans, families, and all the wars that has been fought in the United States and abroad. Now, this book is called Find Peace of Mind, subtitles, do Christian experience PTSD. And there's a lot of scriptures in there, a lot of things that you have spoken about and the doctor has spoken about, it's in that book. Now, um, I didn't know what PTSD was, to, to tell you the truth. And I had to do a lot of research since I found out that I had PTSD. So I'm gonna share with you a little bit about my, my story as far as my military, how I came across all that stuff. So there's about four different areas that, I've, that gave me PTSD. In 1990, I was deployed to Saudi Arabia, Iraq, while, participate, while participating in the Desert Shield Desert Storm. Um, it was a shocking, blaring siren, <coughs> excuse me, blaring siren um, that right before the sound of the Scud's missiles was exploding um, above the sky, above me and my 64 soldiers. So that was my first one. The second one was um, we experienced a convoy of child. Um, Iraqi soldiers on the, on the road, all burned, you know, and charred. The third one came uh, as when we experienced, um, when we almost experienced the same fate as those Iraqi. The Apaches were coming and they were doing the dogfight, swearing from left to right, and they were getting ready to unload on us. And talking about somebody with their tongues um, out their mouth, that's, that, that was us. And we thought we were going to be a gunner. And our, my, our last, my last one was um, we were um, getting ready to go on the front line because we were a trucking company delivering JP-8 fuel on the front line for, for um, all vehicles and, of course, jet uh, fuel. Um, so once we traveled for several hours and in the hot sun, we decided to give the soldiers some, some rest. We, we parked on the side of the road. And we, while we were resting, one of the soldiers, a private, he decided to cross over um, where the enemies had just been bombed and killed and they had already removed their bodies. So this, this young man decided to cross over and go find war souvenirs. So he found something that, came, that looked like a golf ball. He brought it back with him. When he brought it back with him and one of the guys says, hey, let me see what you got there. He says, no, and he showed it and he says, Take, they said, take that back across the street where you got it. He says, no, and he just threw it over. And when he threw it over, that was a cluster bomb. 
It exploded, shrapnel started flying all over, and we ducked. But God, God <laughs> saved us. We, we didn't get any shrapnels. So we were, but yet we were all shaken. So that was the fourth area that we wind up having uh, some type of trauma. But um, that's the price that war causes us as soldiers and what we have to express as warriors, you know? So when I returned home in April of 1991, I did not have a clue that I was experiencing PTSD. Never, nobody ever told us or, or gave us any type of medical, uh, what you call, uh, any type of medical uh, evaluation to see what we experience, how our mind, how are we thinking? But however, a wife, my wife um, noticed, so she saw there was a decline in my health. Uh, it was clear that I was suffering from some type of traumatic experience. I began to lose interest, not caring much about anything. I was moody, I was sad, I was anxious. All the type of things that you know a person with PTSD will have. Uh, anxiety, these feelings made me short-tempered, caused me to lose my patience and become irritable. These drast drastic episodes surprised my wife of six, 16 years of marriage. And she had never seen me like this before. And, and uh, she said, this, this are, that's not normal for you. And so I became sensitive, reclusive, and occasionally, occasionally I experienced unusual tension headaches, waking up very tense, sweaty, from vivid nightmares I would be, uh, that would trigger anything as far as um, any type of explosion or car backfire, and that will bring me back to, to the war. And, I had recurrent military dreams that gave the feelings of something bad was going to happen. So those are a lot of things that a person with PTSD will, will, will experience. I complain about headaches, sinuses, aching joints, plague with fatigue. This condition had damaged my, motivate, my motivation to do anything. So given that I was an athlete, I almost went to the 76 Olympics. I didn't, have, I didn't want to do anything. So the person that helped me was my pastor. He was instrumental by providing me with spiritual guidance, counseling, and prayers. That kind of got me back, even though I didn't know I had PTSD, that kind of got me back in a positive mindset. So it was not until I experienced a traumatic experience 10 years later, a decade later at work that um, caused me traumatic, uh, another traumatic experience, which caused me to seek professional medical evaluation. So my uh, healthcare provider says, you need to go see a psych for an evaluation to make sure that those things that you, you and your wife are talking about is not some form of PTSD or something of that effect. <coughs> Excuse me. So when I went there and I got evaluated, the, the doctor, the, the psychiatrist says, yes, young man, you do have PTSD and you need to get some help. So I was um, seen by a psychiatric and he gave me some medication. And um, then wind up with a second opinion, given that I was, that was a work thing. So they asked for a second opinion, which, which turned out favorable. I did get um, a favorable opinion from another dif different uh, psychiatrist. Then um, that suggested that I get psychotherapist. So VA also helped me out when, uh, when, I, got, when I retired. And I had a vet, uh, which, which caused mental, uh, VA mental health assessment, orientation for uh, therapy, uh, basic coping skill, insomnia, 
So those are the things. The doctor knows exactly what I'm talking about. So cognitive behavior therapy, VA occupational therapy, and there's an alpha stim, stim, stimulator that helps you when you're having chronic pain, acute traumatic uh, pain, you're having problems sleeping, or that, that alpha stim, stimulator. If you have PTSD, the VA can purchase that for you. It's, it's costly, it's anywhere between seven, 700 to $1,000. So um, the main one that helped me was the last one. There was about 11 different classes that I had to go through of the VA cognitive processing therapy that help you realize that the, the way you're training your thoughts to think about these different things, which is the past, now you're living in, in the present. So that kind of um, sets you as, as a person that's experiencing PTSD to come to terms with yourself. Say, hey, I'm not living in the past, I'm living in, in the now. And of course, um, my upbringing um, as a, in the ministry um, also helped me quite a bit because I'm thinking, it says, hey, God is above all things, he's the one. And of course the book, that, is, that, that was what persuaded me to write that, those, those three value books. You know, can I personally handle the ways of truth in life? Which comes out of John 14, six, which is I, um, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. So if he's the way, the truth and the life, if we know him and he's, and he's there for us at all times, we can go through him. So I had to do a lot of scripture reading and those, those help me quite a bit. <clears throat> so um, you see, PTSD is not a disease. A lot of people have misconception about PTSD. They think that's a disease. No, it's not. It's a mental illness, okay? So a lot of people are scared. When you, when you say, I got PTSD, everybody want to run away from you because it's, it's, they see people with PTSD. It affects people in different ways. Different people have PTSD in different ways. So therefore, I don't want to elaborate too much on it, but the doctor already have. But um, that's what I want to say. And PTSD uh, affected uh, the veterans so much that they did not know exactly what PTSD was. They, they were thinking about all different kinds of names. For the past 30 years, they did not take care of the veterans for, uh, for over 22 years. So they, they were, well, 30, I said 30 years, but 22 per day were killing themselves. So I didn't, don't want to sound that negative about it, but that's what was going on. But now the veteran administration has got some more resolve on that and they're offering counseling including various classes and treatments for soldiers, veterans, and their families. So there's help now. There's help now for the veterans. So I just want to say that um, in closing, those are the important information for veterans. You have the Veterans Hotline and Non-Healthcare Benefits, which is 1-800-827-1000. If you are homeless, you're a homeless veteran healthcare, there's a number which is 877 424 3838. If you need assisted living for the veteran, if you only if you serve one day and the war bet, you know, there's a war benefit for you. You can have $1,200 that, that will give they will give you for assisted living. If you are married, they will you will get $1,700. Now, if the service member has passed on, the spouse will get $1,200. Okay. So there's um, if you want to, you can go online at the va.gov, www.va.gov is open from 8 a.m. Eastern to 9 p.m. Eastern. Now there's a healthcare benefit and service, uh, which is 1-877-222-8387. 
Now, for the veterans that really have a problem, they don't know who to turn to, there's a veteran crisis hotline. If you feel you want to hurt yourself, you don't know what to do, there's a crisis support hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. And, um, and I want to thank everybody. Thank you for your service. And thank you for bringing this to, to the forefront to, for the veteran. Ms. Gigi, thank you so much again for having me and sharing um, um, my, my, my experience about PTSD. Thank you very much for Francis, Andre. I think that uh, everyone who is on this call or watching this, then uh, I hope that you had the pencil and paper ready to write all those numbers down because you never know who in your surrounding can need them. So um, thank you very much for the valuable uh, inputs and, uh, and sharing your experience. It's my uh, greatest honor to uh, introduce you the next speaker, which is Elise Mabe. She's the business owner and the speaker. So the microphone is all yours. She could not be with us today. Okay, well, then we are moving to the next speaker. And uh, it is my honor to uh, present you the Sandra Nicole Kaur. She's international keynote speaker, educator, leadership strategist, testing a catalyst, disabled army veteran, and certified dis uh, disabled veteran owner, owned, woman owned, and minority owned business. So uh, very welcome. And the uh, microphone is all yours. Greetings, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you may be I'm watching. I want to thank Gigi for allowing me on this amazing platform to serve our veterans. I am a disabled Army veteran. I'm also um, the owner, the CEO of a uh, disabled uh, veteran-owned, woman-owned business, and I'm excited about it. I <laughs> just want to say that tonight, I'm talking to you all about Boots to Business. And if you've never, ever heard of it, I want to tell you that it is a phenomenal resource that is available to every single veteran out there. If you just go to www.sba.gov, that's Sam bravoalpha.gov. This resource saved my life. What do I mean? You're probably like, what? It saved your life? Yes, it absolutely did. As I began to transition out of the military, I needed something to do. So many veterans get out of the military. They transition out and they don't know what to do. They don't know where to start where to turn. And this is an epidemic for veterans because when you uh, have an idle mind, you get into things that you have no business getting into or you slip into what they call depression, right? And so Boots to Business saved my life because I do suffer from PTSD. I do suffer from depression and I do suffer from anxiety, okay? And so I needed to transition successfully. There's a program called Soldier for Life. This program is supposed to help service members transition from their military life into their civilian life successfully. But you have to do the work. You have to attend the workshops. You have to use the resources that they give you. 
ask questions. If you don't understand something, that is the, the time to speak up as a service member as you begin to transition. You cannot wait. I don't advise any service member to wait to the last day when you know this is your final day in the military to say, now I'm thinking about transitioning. Optimal time to think about transitioning, as you know, when you may be getting out will be a year out. I say 15 months. But if something happens in the military that you abruptly have to exit, you still want to think about where, how, who to call or contact when you are transitioning out of the military. So automatically, I want you to take away from this conversation I'm having with you tonight the word transition. This word is absolutely important as a service member. There's always going to be one day that's going to come in your life where you have to transition. The key to it is successfully understanding the transition, understanding resources and tools that are readily available. Because I heard the gentleman speak before me, there are tools, there are resources that we need to utilize as service members and as veterans so that we do it safely, so that we do it successfully. This resource, I want to give you a phone number. It is 202-205-8381. This will take you to Boots to Business at sba.gov. This is a resource that I utilize. I picked up the phone. I asked questions. Soldier for Life actually brought in uh, representatives from the Boots to Business office that services veterans. This is a veteran resource. This is a service member resource. It is specifically geared for those that serve their country. So I want you to know that SBA has a learning platform to guide you through this resource successfully. I want to say I am in the state of Florida. I know that the tax collector office is also beneficial in helping us uh, reach the resources that Boost the Business provides. Being a business owner or CEO of a business, this is the key, the number one resource that you can utilize to help you complete your paperwork, answer any questions you may have, any fees that are involved with starting a business, everything that you need to become an entrepreneur is in this resource. Boots to Business is a phenomenal resource. And I say that it saved my life because it gave me everything that I needed to start my business, Lens of Faith Speaks Coaching and Consulting. It gave me an introduction to entrepreneurship. That's right. And even if you want to still have a nine to five, I got to tell you, being a parallelpreneur, CEOpreneur, mompreneur, dadpreneur, all thosepreneurs. This resource is essential to guiding the veteran through the day-to-day -day processes of being an entrepreneur. Where to start? If you are near a military installation, there is a boots to business representative on the installation. Every single installation has a resource that can either link you or directly inform you about boots to business. We know that transitioning from our boots to civilian life is a hard process.
But I have to tell you this, there are resources that can help you go one step at a time to transition successfully. PTSD is no joke. Depression is no joke. Anxiety, whatever your trauma is concerning coming out of the military, I have to tell you that this is a safe resource that that outlines everything step by step so that you can go from boots to business successfully. I'm a winner at this and I absolutely love this resource and I often go back and revisit it even when I'm speaking with my customers or my clients because this resource is and always will be a phenomenal resource to begin your journey and also maintain your journey. Lastly, I want to leave you with this. Transitioning is key. There are many things that we have to transition from and to, right? Teaching you the skills to succeed is actually uh, a pivotal part of the transition. The skill set, learning the tools and the resources to be successful is absolutely what you need to end up in the winner's circle. And I want to tell you, as a uh, disabled uh, Army veteran, I needed these tools. I needed someone to hold my hand and walk me through the process because I didn't know. And it's okay when you don't know. What's not okay is to sit still and idle when you don't know something. Raise your hand, ask the questions, pick up the phone and make that call. I'm going to give you the number one more time, 202-205-VET1. And VET1 is 8381-202-205-VET1. That one. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you once again, Gigi, for having me on here tonight. Um, I am here to answer any questions if need be. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was absolutely amazing. Uh, so much energy. You could feel it under your skin. Thank you very much for sharing all and just keep in your mind trans uh, transformation. So it is my honor to present you the next speaker. His name is Mark Ledlow. Uh, he's a founder and owner, owner of the LedlowSecurity.com. Uh, Mark, the microphone is all yours. Thank you for having me, guys. And I love the panel so far. Chandra, you spoke music to my ears in uh, your talk. Um, I can identify with that because, you know, we had the pandemic that just hit us. And I, too, was stuck home going, what am I going to do? I can't go anywhere. I can't travel anywhere. The government's telling me I can't go anywhere. So what do we do in the military? Well, in Marine Corps, especially, we overcome and adapt. And if you're listening to this and you're a veteran, you know how to overcome and adapt. You are trained to overcome and adapt. Don't sit there idle like Chandra said. Don't sit there idle and wait for someone to open the door for you. You have to go get it. And what I do, I had a millennial ask me if I knew what a podcast was. And I said, what's a podcast? I don't even listen to podcasts. I listen to the radio and I stopped listening to the news completely because it's too depressing. But if you're listening to this and you're a veteran, input is output. Control your input in your brain and get off Xbox, get off gaming, quit smoking pot. It ain't going to do you any good. Like Chandra said, get off your rear end and do something. So what did I do? I listened to this millennial. He talked me into starting my own podcast. I'm an introvert by nature. I don't do this naturally. This is not my, my personality. You might think, oh, I, I, I do this all the time. I don't. I had to get over myself. I had to get over my fear. 
of being inadequate, uh, stuttering maybe on, on stage or on a podcast. And I had to force myself to get out of my comfort zone and be uncomfortable to grow. And that's what you got to do. You got to grow. You got to push yourself. You, you did that in boot camp. If you're listening to this, you went through boot camp. You went through, you know, Navy, Air Force, Marine, whatever. You can do this. It's a mental shift in your mind. So what I did was I started this podcast. And um, before the podcast story, I'll take you back a little bit in time. When I was getting out of the Marine Corps, I was like, what do I do myself? I just got out of the Marine Corps. 9-11 just happened. I had a big corporate job with WAMU, an account executive. I was the number one producer for WAMU. And then 2008, the market crashed. I'm like, okay, what do I do now? I'm in Southern Oregon. So what I did, I pivoted and I moved to Southern California and became a bodyguard. All my friends in Southern, Southern Oregon told me I was crazy. I lost my mind. I need to be on drugs or something. I, I've lost it. But no, I had a dream. I had a dream to push myself to do something I never did before because I didn't want to live my life with any regrets. So I moved to Southern California and became a bodyguard. That was 15 years ago. And with that journey, here I am running my own business. Was that easy? No. Was it uncomfortable? Yes. But the thing with people that are successful, they're used to becoming very um, uncomfortable to do things to be successful. You have to overcome your own insecurities. You have to push yourself. And I was fortunate enough to have some entrepreneurs and business owners that were mentors of mine. And so what I did learn in the Marine Corps was discipline and tenacity and overcoming. And I transferred those skill set, those foundations of the Marine Corps to present day life. And what I did was I sought out my mentors in business, say, how, how do I do this? So I took my brain, I put it on the shelf, and I used my mentor's brain to help me figure out the different skill sets, the different things I needed to know, the ingredients to create a recipe of success in business. So humility, you gotta be humble. Yes, all your own pride. I know we have a lot of alpha males and females listening to this. And that's a hard thing for us to do is follow that pride. But the, that's the biggest thing you do. Your biggest strength is swallowing your pride and willing, under, will, being willing to accept where you're the most vulnerable at. And say, okay, humble your pride and listen to someone else's brain explain to you how you can have success in business. And that's exactly what I did. And now I've been running my own business for a couple of years. And when the COVID-19 hit us, I'm like, now what do I do? Okay, let's reinvent this. What are we going to do? And so I launched a podcast. My first guest was Michael Trott. A shout out to Michael Trout. He helped me launch my first podcast show. I was scared. I was sweating. And I was looking at this thing called a camera. And you guys are watching this. Is it nervous? Yeah, we're a little nervous. It's not normal. It's not natural to talk to a screen. But we've been doing it for two years. So get over it. Make, make it happen. And is this natural for me to do? No, it's not. It's not my personality. However, I want to serve my veteran community, which I need to know. They need to get over their own issues, seek counseling. You got some uh, resources, 1-800 number, websites, and uh, you have so many resources to help you guys out. And that's why I'm doing this. That's why I volunteered to do this, because I know their veterans are screaming for help. And one big question I ask, get, people ask me is, how do I break into the bodyguard world? Well, first of all, you got to put the video games down. You got to put the pot down and whatever else substance abuse you're drinking too much alcohol, wine. There's nothing wrong with enjoying yourself. But there's control of yourself. You guys know how to do that. You have discipline. You know how to do this. I'm not giving you anything you don't know. 
but you just got to apply those things to your life. And I started recording. And then one guy opens, hey, can I be on your podcast? Can I be on your podcast? And the most powerful thing about podcast is its ability to get someone a platform to tell their story about their struggle. Because every personality listening to this show has a struggle. Depression is huge. PTSD is huge. And war is significant and it alters our ego, alters our personality, your brain. And it is, our, our brain is so sensitive. It's such a sensitive organ and it shifts under duress. And we're here to let you know that you're not alone. And I'll add to that story. I'll get some water. I lost my mom seven years ago to a sudden death. And then I built my business to a point to where I could residual live on that business because of my mentorship. And then all of a sudden, three years after my mom died, my dad gets diagnosed with brain cancer. Guess what I had to do? I had to pivot it again. So two deaths coming my way. And they say the biggest fears in life are the fear of speaking and the fear of death. And I face both of them. And what I can tell you, if you're listening to this, is life is too short to be stuck in your own way. Life is too short. We're not guaranteed tomorrow or the next year. We're guaranteed now if we're lucky. But you have to overcome yourself. So long story short, my dad got cancer. I stepped away from the bodyguard world, took care of my dad seven days a week, eight hours a day. My dad was a big damn vet. The guy had no, he was not disgusted. He said, I'm going to live my life like this party for the next three years until I die. And I'll give you guys a little secret. My dad's success and his mindset was his belief in Jesus Christ. My dad was a pastor. He knew where he was going. <clears throat> so what is your hope? What is your... <clears throat> your drive? What keeps you going? It's... Uh, it's hard. Thinking about committing suicide? You looking at that rifle? Looking at that pistol? As a Christian, I can say, Jesus paid it all on the cross. But, you know, the great thing about the story is it's not the end. You know, I mean, I want to believe in God. You know, I may believe in Christ. But, you know, we are here to help you. We are here to support you. And there is hope. You know, you have people, you know, church, uh, uh, battle buddies you're in boxhole with, and that type of thing. But you're not alone in your fights. Domestic dispute. If there's been so much domestic stuff going on since COVID-19, spousal abuse, partners beating up on each other. We, we went under a cooker. But there is hope. You just got to gotta believe in yourself and overcome your own insecurities. And if you're a veteran, you don't have to be a veteran. You can be anybody, business owner. But what I can say is my transition has been, joining the Marine Corps was the best decision in my life because it's opened up so many doors. You may not know this if you're listening to this, but your time in the service will open up doors you don't even understand that are there. And so just get over yourself, reach out and say, I need help. If you're an alpha male female, you're too good to do that. No, you're not. You're human. You're breakable like glass.
And you can do that. You can pull up. And so I wasn't planning on talking about all that, but it just came out. But just please listen to my podcast. And uh, Frank Muir, two-time world heavyweight champion, is a good friend of mine from the UFC. We're going to start a training uh, program. If you want to find me, uh, ludlowsecurity.com. I'm on uh, iHeartRadio, the podcast. But there is hope. Listen to the podcast. The reason why I did it was to reach out to our vets that need help. And I'm a vet, too. You saw me get a little broken, choked up a little bit. I'm human. And that's a show of that. I'm just human. Trying to help you guys out. This is Mark, and I hope that helps. And uh, I would say more, but I think I'm out of time. I'll pass the mic. Amen. There is hope. Wow. For the first time ever, your, your message almost brought me to tears. It was very inspirational. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Indeed, nobody is alone and your story does matter. So thank you for sharing your story today. And you who are, you are watching, your story matters as well. Not only to your family and friends, but uh, share your story, share with uh, like-minded uh, groups like this one. And, uh, and don't be alone. Thank you, Mark, for, for all that you uh, have done. So our next speaker, uh, I'm honored to present to you Dolika uh, Rani. She's uh, ex-Indian Air Force officer, mountaineer, motivational dedex speaker, writer, and research scholar. So the microphone is all yours. Okay, and Tulika, she, she's not able to join us at this moment. Okay, let's move forward. So it is my honor to present to you Amy Debrock, uh, wife, mom, believer, author, confidence coach, host of Life on Purpose podcast. Amy, the microphone is yours. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much. Um, first, I just want to say thank you to Dr. James, Gigi, and everyone on this panel. I know um, only half of us, I think, have gone so far, but you have actually moved me to tears, each one of your stories. It's, they're just so powerful, and I'm just um, honored to be included in this panel. Um, and let me just start by also just thanking all the men and women who have served in any capacity, whether you're a spouse um, or just some an active member, past or present. You know, I, I really applaud and appreciate your service and everything that you do. Um, and just to be clear, I, I um, like Tanya, I have not served with my son, uh, brother, brother and father have. And today I just wanted to share my experience with all of you. Um, from a mother and parent perspective, and what it has been like for me to support my son um, with my topic, which is faith over fear. And I think it's fair to say that when we hear the word military, um, we have waves of emotions and thoughts that run over us, um, mostly pride and fear, at least was for me. Um, and I think serving your country obviously is one of the most honorable things that anyone can do, but it requires a lot of bravery, most of which, um, at least in my son's experience, I've seen that he's gained along the way in his journey. But as most of you know also that it's not cut out for everyone and it does take grit, integrity, and huge sacrifice. And, um, you know, although my father and brother both served, it didn't really affect me um, at that time. My dad had already completed his commitment in the Navy before I was even born. And my oldest brother went away at a time when I was just young enough where it was kind of like he had gone away to college. 
um, and there weren't any wars going on at that time. And so, um, you know, I didn't understand really what my parents maybe were going through or thinking and feeling at the time when he served. Um, that, of course, would all change once my son enlisted. And um, I soon found myself overwhelmed with pride for him joining, but also immense fear. And having a child in the military was a first for me and my husband. And learning how to navigate really those uncharted waters proved to be really difficult for me. Um, clinging to my faith, as most of you have mentioned, which has been really uh, a blessing to hear, um, was really the anchor that I needed to stay grounded and hold on to the truth instead of fear. And, uh, you know, in my mid 20s, uh, my husband and I had already lost a son. So um, it didn't have anything to do with the military, of course. Um, it was just an undetected heart abnormality. But the fear, um, even though it had, I felt like it had been dormant for 20 plus years, came back swiftly once my son boarded that plane for boot camp. And um, that feeling of that angst uh, washed over me and just reminded me of that heartache that comes when your child leaves you. And so, um, you know, it's just interesting how fear, it's one of the enemy's most popular weapons, I say, that he uses against us. Uh, you know, worry, anxiety, fear, all of those things, they overwhelm us with this shadow of darkness and can have the power to really control our every move and decision. And, um, you know, having my son serve in the military felt like a different loss for me. Obviously, you know, he was still alive, but it just, when he boarded that plane, it just, there was a loss there. And I think a lot of it was, um, I wasn't going to have any control of what was going to happen to him. And I felt a sense of responsibility, and maybe some parents listening can relate to this, that if something were to happen, something bad were to happen, and I supported it, somehow it would feel like it was partially my fault. And um, it's interesting, like I said, how uh, fear does that. It, it fuels these lies and um, instead of the truth. And, and I knew what the truth was, and I still do, that everything works out in God's timing and in his plan. Um, he knows the future and not me. And I, I am grateful for that. But, you know, um, in the beginning, uh, during my son's enlistment, those fears would keep me up at night. And I, I it was hard to get a good handle on them. Um, and it was just like every other parent's fear, fear of his safety, loneliness, um, just the things he may see and experience. And especially as I'm listening to these former veterans and, you know, that's real. Um, but the more I prayed and surrendered my fears to God, um, something did change in me and my anxious thoughts began to really diminish and worry, let go of its um, constant grip. And so I'm sure, um, like I said, other parents and mothers can relate. You know, I think moms by nature is we want to be all things to all people. Um, we feel like we're very capable of many things. I know I, I did, um, but we can't always satisfy every need. And that was something that I had to learn was okay. And um, something that I really had to reconcile with God and remind myself that even though I can't be everywhere my children are, that he is always going to be there. And that really my limitations were actually a great gift um, because it would allow me and my children, um, my son and his siblings, to really um, dig in deeper with their faith and give them and us the freedom to live in joy and hope instead of being a hostage to fear. 
So, um, you know, I, I know just from my experience, having your child serve is very difficult. I think sometimes too, especially when you don't have anything to really compare it to or have that um, growing up with that. Um, for us, it was like a, a little bit of a missing link uh, when he was gone. Um, but it was, I still think the best thing for all of us, um, you know, kind of like Mark was saying, I learned that, you know, great change offers great opportunities for growth and to really trust instead of fear and to gain confidence um, for the next hard thing that comes in life. And it really allowed me to let God take over. And one lesson that I learned that came from the transition from what I call or consider my own immature faith to a more mature one was taking that leap of faith without knowing the next step. And I feel like my son has experienced that same thing. Um, and I think it's normal, uh, not just for me, but for others to not want to see our children suffer or struggle in any capacity. And, you know, as I'm hearing everybody talk about um, the stress that comes after you've served and for family members, you know, like Lachelle being a wife and what that feels like. But for me and so far, I feel like sometimes those challenges are also the exact thing that steers us in the direction of where God wants us and uh, needs us to be, to live more confidently. And just a great reminder to me um, to never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So, um, you know, military life, like I said, was nothing like I had ever known or experienced before. Uh, the restriction with information and all kinds of lack of communication was brand new to me. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting because his older sister had gone to college and I was able to speak to her. We both were able to speak to her and she could come home whenever she wanted. And so we really kind of rediscovered what a privilege and luxury that is. Um, having experienced that with my other kids. And what a wonderful reminder, really, of all the basic things that we probably took for granted before. Um, and now it was apparent that that's not the case. Um, and I think it's hard, you know, it was for me to make sure that, um, you know, everything is right and happy for our kids. But I, I really, truly believe that, um, the, my, the best thing for my son it was, you know, he would need to embrace his own challenges, um, even if they came with mistakes and loneliness and uncertainty, and his serving uh, would really foster some great intention in his future, commitment, hard work, and confidence. Um, I think it's much easier, at least it was for me, to have faith when things go according to plan and you know what to expect. But I think when things are foggy or uncertain, they come become more challenging. Um, and they certainly left us feeling anxious and worried. But one of the verses that I clung to um, during this time when he first left was in Hebrews 11.1, 1, which is faith is confidence in what we hope and assurance about what we do not see. And so that's something that... Um, I, I still uh, go back to all the time um, because different things come up in life and they're going to forever. Um, like you had stated, you know, a lot of you had talked about, you know, just stuff that's going on every day and, and all the changes in the war that's happening right now, things that we wouldn't have predicted maybe, you know, even six months ago. But what's most important was my lesson that I feel like I needed to trust first and worry later. I hope that um, people can really gain that same um, ability to do that um, after listening to these panel of, you know, experts in this field. Um, 
but I know for my son, he needed to find purpose in his pain. Um, even though I needed to trust first, he needed to find purpose and we both needed to try and fail at new things. Um, trusting, you know, regardless of the outcome, but that God would always be walking alongside both of us. Um, and his military has definitely tested our strength. Um, but uh, the faith and courage that has come out of it has been priceless. And um, so before I leave you today, I just wanted to um, let you know that I, I see and hear all of you. I, I really appreciate, I, I can't express enough, um, the service members in every aspect. Like I said, Tanya, what you're doing, uh, Lachelle being the wife and spouse and what that's like, everything is such a unique but so important role. And I really am appreciating that more now, just having my son in. And um, there were three things that um, I wanted to just encourage you all with when I leaving here um, for guidance for when you feel blinded or blindfolded by the fear that comes. And these helped me and I'm hoping that they'll help um, anyone who's listening too. And the first one for me was always to pray. You know, I think when um, I was willing to surrender my will for God's, that's when I would become free of um, fear's grip and asking him for guidance regularly. That doesn't mean that we're never going to be anxious or worry again, but it does really help help to know that he is there. And um, the second one is to make a daily choice to trust God over our fears. And for me, that is a daily submission. Like I said, it's not a one and done once I surrendered and said, oh, God, you're with him and, you know, I'm good now. I just feel like um, that's something that I have to um, do every single day is let give it over to God and know that whatever is going to be will be and he's going to be in charge of it. Um, and so and the third is to really count on his word. I really think that when you read his promises and, and believe them, it, it helps. And some days when I had uh, was filled with more doubt than others. Um, and maybe some of you can relate, I would read and reread and reread a verse over and over and over again, almost to will myself to believe it when I was struggling. And so um, his words gave me the courage to do it when I couldn't do it on my own. And so I'm, I'm confident they could do the same for you. So I just want to say thank you again to this panel. I'm, I'm so honored again, like I said, to be a part of it. Thank you to Gigi. And um, if you want to connect with me further, you can go to my website. You can either find it at amydebrick.com. I know that's kind of a daunting name, but or or you can go to surrenderyourfear.com. I have a confidence course on there, an encouragement journal, and um, in the, all the stuff for the podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. And such a powerful topic, right? Faith over fear. If you're listening to this message today, write that down. Faith over fear. Thank you, Amy. And not only that, I think every parent or every, especially every mother could relate now and just have the fear, the, the feeling of uh, how does it really, really feel, no? So uh, thank you very much, Amy, for, uh, for your uh, beautiful, beautiful words and uh, great, great recommendations. It is my honor to present our next speaker, Philip McClure. He's owner of the North Star Coins. Uh, Philip, the microphone is all yours. Oh, I'm excited. Thank you so much, Gigi, for inviting me to be here. I also have to do a special shout out. Thank you to the Forge Forward Project. Uh, project. They're helping to heal veterans through post-traumatic stress. I'm actually in their studio right now. You can't see in the background, but, and uh, kind of hanging out here, loving it. The, uh, so my name is Phil McClure, 
many people have referred to me as the goal attainment coin guy. This is because of my ability to assist others in habit building and taking action towards their goals using the tangible tools that my company provides. There are beautiful coins and goal-oriented goal journals. Well, I did serve in the military for a while. I've done four tours. So I do have all the whole veteran stories and all that kind of stuff going on. And uh, just going back to this, the, uh, without the goal attainment and the power of proximity, I don't think anyone can go far. So what I'd like to do now is offer, offer everybody out there an opportunity to get three of our packages for free. So if you DM on Instagram, North Star Coins, the word veteran, again, it's North Star Coins, the word veteran, the first three of you will give a free goal attainment package to. If you're not the first three, we'll still get you a promo code. Now, what I'd love to speak with you guys on today is the power of proximity, masterminds, and for the soldiers, that awards are more than just rewards. The power of proximity works in both ways. We all know that the people that we spend most of our time with is who we will become. And negative, yeah, we hang out with people that are going nowhere or they're stuck in the past and are unable to move forward. When I started trying to make my transition from the military world to the civilian world, it started getting really difficult because they didn't want you to leave that comfort zone. It was almost like the crabs in the pot mentality. It's like, don't go anywhere. You understand me. I understand you. Let's stay together. When I was trying to do something different, which only the civilian market could really get me to that success level or what I was looking for. So the, the, uh, I kind of call that the, the pop, the um, power of proximity. And But once you figure it out, like I've done, I've put the ladder down behind me. I've helped other veterans move forward and kind of change their lives after they've left the service. Because uh, the biggest positive about the power of proximity is it's the only way to get your freedom. It's the only way to really see the kind of success you might want. And it's always gonna help you with your health. I'd like to kind of start out with how I got here. So on my last tour, I had a couple goals. Well, I had three goals. I wanted to be able to learn jujitsu. I wanted to be 180 pounds and run a 13 minute two mile. And I needed to learn financial intelligence. However, I didn't know who to turn to. I was just around with a whole bunch of soldiers doing all the soldiery things. And then I started asking my peers and people that I was with. And I was like, who here knows anything about stock market? Who here knows anything about crypto, real estate investing, all these different types of things? Because I knew I was getting close to the end of my career and I needed to make an exit strategy. I did, and uh, so I found somebody in all of those realms and we made a little pact that every Thursday that we would get together. Like, I didn't even know what a mastermind was. I read about it in books when I was there, but we had inadvertently created one. But Every Thursday we would get together, we would teach each other and we'd give each other homework. Then the next Thursday, we did that for an entire year almost. Once we came back, almost all of us have been pretty successful in our lives, but it's because we had a year of just counsel and study. Then as we all know, once you're in the arena that you need to be in, the people you need to find will find you. And I get home and I'm just at the local grocery store and one of my best friends I hadn't seen since high school, been about 15 years, uh, was standing right next to me in the checkout line. And he's like, holy crap, I haven't seen you forever. We did some chit chat. We decided to reconnect. And he's like, give me your number, blah, blah, blah. Call me later. And uh, I ended up reaching out to him. And he asked what I'd been up to. And I told him that I've been focused really, really hard 
on changing my paradigm. I am focusing on bigger goals than what I'll ever get from the service. Even though the service gave me the tools to get there, I still had goals that were higher than the, that could pretty much financially pay for. So he's like, come to my house tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. So I go over to my buddy ER's house, ER Corin. He's the now the owner of Automotive Addiction Museum. You should really check it out. It's really, really cool. But I didn't know he had become so successful. And I get, he's off, come to my house. I get over there. And as I'm pulling up to his house in my little Hyundai accent, there's Dodge Viper outside. There's a Lamborghini outside, a Rolls Royce, like all sorts of neat stuff. And I was like, oh, he must have a bunch of people over. It's something neat. And he answers the door and I was like, what's going on? And so I want you to come with me this morning. I want to introduce you to some people because that's what you need. And you know, I was like, okay. And he's all come to the garage with me. We got to start some cars. And he opens the garage and there's two McLarens sitting in his garage. There's about half a million dollars just in his garage alone. And he's like, well, my brother's going to come take this one. So you can drive the Viper outside or you can ride with me in this new McLaren 720. And I was like, well, I'm here because I need to be around people like you and I need to learn. So I rode with him. It was one of the funnest rides I've ever been on. We went and met up with about 20 other, 30 other cars and just went for a big drive through the canyon. And he's like, this is the kind of thing you need to do. He's all, and it made perfect sense from some of the books that I read while I was while I was on my deployment about, you know, changing your proximity, going to the country club, going to where those people are that you want to become. So I started, you know, he took me under his wing, started giving me some mentorship, helped me get into, you know, not the most expensive or fanciest cars, but he helped me start getting into that car world. And that became my ticket to being around the kind of people I wanted to be with. They had the things that I wanted. They showed me how to get it and I got it. And the best part about it, it's all free mentorship too because you're not paying for mentorship when they're just your friends. So it was just, it was just, you know, two amazing things that happened to me right after each other, just by, you know, putting myself out there and going for it. Um, moving into uh, the awards are more than rewards. So the military reward punishment is a reward and punishment type of business. You know, we, but it's not just like it is in the civilian market. It's not, you know, you get an award at your business, you know, in front of everybody, like, cool, that's some good accolades. However, in the military, that's where you, that involves your whole family. If you're not getting good marks and if you're not getting awards and you're not getting recognition and doing well, you might get stationed in some place that's going to be, you know, South Korea or Alaska, somewhere where your family doesn't want to go, or maybe they do. However, you don't get a choice. You don't get a good duty station if you are not getting the higher marks. So there's a lot more pressure when you're, you know, trying to, you know, get those awards, get those higher rating period recognitions and things like that. So, you know, it's, so I think that when you're looking at bringing on um, military people to work with you or be around you, just understand that when you're giving them recognition and awards for something, that means more to us and it most likely does to somebody else because our lives depended on it, our livelihood and the people we love as well. The, you know, I like to look at what I've done since I came out of the military. And a lot of it has been taking all my skills that I learned as a soldier and working with and bringing them into the civilian aspect. I didn't know that we were so valuable. Like, and every veteran out there, you need to understand how valuable we are. Like we have one of the best work ethics. People love us. We get the jobs done. 
we understand the hierarchy. We, you know, we don't bitch too much. Well, maybe we do a little bit, but we still get the job done when it needs to be done. We work as a team better than just about anybody. And we become force multipliers. We've been gifted with all these skills that we didn't even know that we were trying to, trying to get. And they were just force fed down our throats. And then as we get older and we start going for our goals and our attainment and all the things that we want for our families and everyone around us, you only get those because of what you've learned. And it's just kind of put into your blueprint. Yeah, like the other day I got invited to an event called The Secret Knock, if anybody's heard of that. If you haven't, it's the most amazing event I've ever been to in my life. And I met the owner of it, his name's Dr. Greg Reed. He gave me a book. The book was called The Power of Proximity. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is perfect. And yeah, I met a whole bunch of people there. I didn't know anybody, what it was like. And he took me under his wing, showed me what's going on. He's like, how come you're so good? Why are you such a good worker in helping us out? And then he found out I was military. And he's like, oh, that totally makes sense. I'm like, what do you mean that makes sense? He's like, you guys are always some of the best employees. So, you know, being the veterans out there, looking to hire veterans, like you are valuable and they are very valuable. So I'd like to just, and I'm about out of my time, but in closing, I really want to say it was my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much again, Gigi, and everybody else on the panel. I'm excited for the gifts for the lucky winners as well. I'm going to check that as soon as I'm off of here. And until I get to see you all again, like, this is the Goal Attainment Guy with North Star Coins. And thank you so, so much. And until next time. Thank you, Philip. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this message today, write that down what Philip said. All veterans are valuable. Thank you. And what really, really stuck with me is the proximity. And I think uh, also talking about mentorship, it doesn't matter if it's, uh, if it's uh, whatever field you are on, those, those two things are really, really, truly valuable. And, uh, and uh, the proximity to correct people is the key to, to success. So without uh, uh, any further ado, we do have now uh, Tolika Rani with us. Um, she is ex-Indian Air Force officer, mountaineer, uh, motivational TEDx speaker, writer, and research scholar. So um, welcome and uh, Tolika, the microphone is all yours. Hello. And thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to be present here amidst the veterans from all around the world. A salute to all the veterans present here and my greetings to all the audience out there. Jahin, as we greet each other in the Indian Armed Forces. So it's a privilege that today I am feeling the same camaraderie that I felt while I was serving in the forces because forces are, are a lifelong bond. So even if I do not uh, see you today uh, personally, I do not know any of the panelists over here personally, still we have that kind of a bond, that camaraderie, because all of us come from the same background and that is of the forces. So forces are a bond beyond words. Whenever we have this image of a warrior, today I'm going to speak on a warrior's spirit. So that is what um, I would give a glimpse into, into a warrior's mind. Whenever we have this image of a warrior, there are certain qualities that just spark into our mind. And these are, first of all, courage, leadership, dedication to the work, initiative, team spirit, discipline, positive attitude in all the circumstances, 
a power to adapt quickly into any kind of circumstance and a to-do attitude. We do not grip, we just get the work done in whatsoever manner. So these are certain qualities that all the warriors around the world they have in whichever armed forces they are serving. But a warrior can be anybody. Now here I would like to underline one point that the spirit of a warrior is not just bounded with the uniform. Yes, with the uniformed personnel, it is there in multiplied proportions because we are trained like that. So uh, beginning with my own experiences, I would like to share that uh, even before I joined the Indian Air Force in 2005, I had to battle certain social perceptions because uh, still in Asian societies, defense forces are not a very conventional field for a woman to choose. Uh, women are sometimes generally rather advised to join a field which is not very physically challenging for a woman. But I thought that I have an inclination towards this kind of a leadership and this kind of a life, which is outdoors, which is moving, which is not static, and which has this kind of a fitness element in it throughout. So I was really fascinated by it. And I decided that gender does not choose my profession. Gender does not decide the capabilities that I have as a human being. And that is how my career has to be decided. So in 2005, when I joined Indian Air Force, I was not much into physical activities. I would let you uh, know this also. I was all the time a studious person. But uh, once I joined forces, I really got the taste of the physicals and I started enjoying it. So much so that at the end of my first uh, six months term, I had topped my administration branch. And at the end of my second year term also, the second um, term of the next six months, the, the final training, uh, I was given a very beautiful compliment by my junior term cadets. And they wrote, my name is Tulika Rani. Rani in the end, the surname means queen. So they had written, academics or outdoors, she is the reigning Rani. She's the queen, whether it be in the sports field or it be the academics. So that kind of a compliment. What I mean to say over here, rather than judging a person at the outset, first of all, we have to give them opportunities in whatever field and then decide whether they are capable of it or not. They might just astound everybody around. So the training was tough, but the mind was tougher. I would um, like to quote a very uh, beautiful incident over here. After that training, one of my male course mates came to me and he said, I want to salute you. And I asked why. He said, he, he really admitted that when on the first day I had seen the girls in the military academy, I thought, what are they doing over here? And now after training with you all for one year, I really want to salute your capabilities. After that moment, we both started calling each other commandos. And till day, we both stand as commandos for each other. So uh, another point that I would like to bring to the fore into the warrior's spirit is that we never break our, our support system, whatever circumstances we are in. I was good at rolling in the academy. Like we have to, we have to double our bodies and we have to take a roll and bend forward. Everybody does it in the academy, I was really good at it. 
because I could roll forward without breaking or injuring my neck or the back. This attitude is a warrior's attitude. Whatever circumstances, adverse things also come into our life, we have to, even if we have to shrink our bodies, double ourselves up and move forward, we do it without enduring our support system, our belief in our faith, in our own capabilities. That's what I keep on doing in my life, even after my retirement or throughout my life, wherever we are, whatever work I'm doing. So uh, once I had become an officer, I didn't stand, stopped at that because life has to move on. Soldiers have this kind of a capability to continuously be in the motion. So it has to reflect in their lives in also. After I joined forces, I got into mountaineering, uh, went to climb Mount Everest, but in 2011, couldn't climb successfully to the top, had to return from midway. But what do soldiers do after that? Once we fail, the warriors do not accept their failures as final. What they do is come back, introspect, prepare better, strike again, and keep striking till the time they win. This is what I did. In 2012, I returned to Mount Everest. In my individual expedition, at my own expenditure, there was nothing, no uh, sponsorship coming from anywhere. But then we do not grip, as I said in the beginning. We find ways. We are like water. We will do it no matter what. So I went to Mount Everest, climbed it successfully in 2012, but returned with frostbite, a very beautiful kiss by the mountain on my toes. And I was hospitalized for three months. But then again, when the doctors were advising me to stop climbing and uh, I was bedridden for three months over there, I decided to do something constructive in that circumstance also. That's what warriors do. They always have a positive attitude, I told you, and they make the best of any circumstances they are in. So I couldn't walk, I could at least write, right? So I wrote a book in, those, um, in that time when I was bedridden in the hospital. And that book, again, it took me nine years to publish. People would say nobody reads books nowadays. On top of that, adventure books don't sell. So more than 20 publishers rejected that book at that moment. Today, uh, just a few days back, two or three days back, I returned from International Kolkata Book Fair, which is Asia's biggest book fair and the third book fair in the world after the Frankfurt and London Book Fair, first book fair in terms of the footfalls. And my book is being displayed over there for sale. I have just signed copies and this book is really doing well. So that faith, that belief in our own capabilities no matter what people try to tell us. That is a warrior spirit. After I retired in 2015, after completing my 10 years of tenure in the forces, I sat down to prepare for the toughest examination of my country, the civil services. And um, it took me some years. I could clear the two uh, levels out of three and uh, I did clear a lot of other examinations, stopped my PhD examination, cleared my assistant professor examination, which is country-level country wide, and all these. But again, the warriors are taking up new challenges, but challenges come at the cost. The cost was excessive sitting for 16 hours or so, studying every day. I developed ulcers in my stomach. Now, that was a real shock. From a person who had six abs to a person who had ulcers in the stomach, 
from a person who had climbed Mount Everest to a person who would gasp for breath climbing stairs also because of the ulcers. So, and, and I came to know when I was trekking uh, in Himachal Pradesh, I came to realize that I had some problem. It was diagnosed as ulcers. So what after that? I cured it, had to go through a treatment. And now I have just now returned a week back from Nepal after doing a track in the same Mount Everest base camp region. I also met my Sherpas. The Sherpas were the people who had supported me during my 2000 climb. I went back again, met them, met their families also. And that again signifies another quality that warriors have, that they never forget their buddies. And after all the works are done, after the hard time, we have a party and we tell each other, patting each other on the back, yes, we did it together. That kind of a team spirit is always alive in a warrior. With this, I would like to thank Gigi for bringing us all together over here. And we did it together wonderfully well. Thank you. Jahil. Thank you, Tulika. This is what I really, truly call the, <laughs> the great example of a warrior. And our next speaker uh, will also uh, show what a warrior he has been. Our next speaker is Armando Neutel. He was born running towards excellence. As a baby, a seizure disorder kept him in, in and out of the hospital, but his faith growing up kept him focused on greater things to come. At the age of 70, he joined the Portuguese Naval Academy and rising quickly among the ranks to become a Naval officer, reaching a role where he had 75 people under his care. He was also an active member of NATO, working on radar detection technology. He left after the last commission of six years of service in uh, director of ships and moved into the private sector. So Armando, the microphone is yours. Thank you very much, Rodney. Um, well, on top of that, when you're saying I was born to die basically. So I have been a warrior since I was young. I don't know if it's a coincidence or not. I am a military, but uh, I became an officer. Uh, of course, I did everything that an officer can do. I've, I've been in more than 30 different countries. Um, I speak four languages. I, um, I, I did my master's here in California, the Naval Postgraduate School, and probably the top university in, in defense. Um, and so I've seen a lot in the, in, in the world, but always since I was young, I had all this, the doctors were saying, this guy should die. Why is not die, why is not dead right now? And I believe it was God keep me alive because there was no way a baby could be alive in that conditions. So I always had this sense that there's a God out there and I end up giving my life to Jesus Christ, um, the only way to God. And um, I always lived since very young in a relationship with God. And so uh, I know we're talking about PTSDs and disorders. So I, in, through my life, I also a pastor for more than 25 years, uh, always doing the ministry. Um, I've been an evangelist. I've been in Africa. I've been in South America. I helped several leaders. I've trained thousands of leaders across the world. 
And one of the things I want to say here is that um, your strength cannot only can get you to a certain point, um, but God's strength can take you to the impossible that you do the unthinkable. To whatever you can think that you can achieve, God can bring you up a thousand times higher, a million times higher. Because the Bible says that my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. So it doesn't matter how smart we are. doesn't matter how strong we are. God is infinitely strong and infinitely bigger. So, and during my life, I've seen many things that I could do so much, but I feel, I always felt that God was pushing me further and further and further. One of the examples was uh, once I was finishing after 18 years in the Navy as an officer, I've done everything. I've got prizes from the president. I've been, uh, uh, you know, helping uh, the admirals um, in the sensors technology, running big programs. It was a very fast life. Then at a certain point, I realized I've done everything there. So I resigned from the Navy and started from scratch, right? And then suddenly, after 10 years, in the last three, pretty much, I shipped, I, I was in the team shipping the last nine Alexa products to the whole world. So it's a big shift. What do you think? <laughs> so it's like um, I had to reinvent myself because I've always been in the military since I was in 17 years old. I haven't seen anything out of the military, but of course I knew the world. I knew the world really well. But I think, you know, whatever difficulty, even mental difficulty, especially people have been in, in combat, um, and I have a phrase I always uh, like to talk about, you know, um, everybody has faith when bullets are flying over your head, right? <laughs> so faith is something natural in you. And I think we need to discover that faith in God transforms us and gives us empowerment to do the impossible possible. Even Jesus said, whoever believes in God makes the impossible possible because God can do those things. So uh, people that are facing this type of, let's say, distress disorders or fear or, or PTSD, you know, uh, when I've been preaching around the world, I've, I've deal with so many things, but, you know, even people that are under worse circumstances. Um, I always thought about why these things happen. And I realized that most of these symptoms and, 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 and conditions come from a deficiency in our spirit because at some point we got traumatized or we have done something ourselves or somebody did something to ourselves that put us in a spiritual condition of fear or trauma or, or something that internally we cannot deal with. Um, even the Bible says that, you know, um, curses, uh, costless shall not come. So there's always a cause. There's something, a situation, a circumstance that needs to overcome. And, 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 and in other circumstances, the Bible says the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. So whatever we have experienced, whatever, let's say, weight we are carrying, um, I used to say there's only one who can carry your weight is Jesus Christ. Uh, I, a person cannot carry your weights. Even is as friend as you could be from you. Only God can carry your weight. So 
Um, I have done this in the past, and I think you guys should do the same. Give to Jesus your weights. And Jesus said, I will give you my weight that is light and you are carrying right now. So um, I believe most, and I've seen some people talking about this, that I believe from the bottom of my heart, right, any mental condition, uh, any spiritual condition, God has to be involved if you really want to come out of that hole. Um, and that's why many people end up killing themselves and because of they were being in very harsh situations, because I don't think they are getting the spiritual advice correctly. And I just saw heard some people here that are here because they got the right friends, the people that encourage them, that bring them out of that circumstance and encourage them spiritually. Uh, and that's why the Bible says that God sent his word to save us from all our destructions. So we need the word of God to come into our hearts to open us to a different world and a different opportunities that God opens every day in front of us. I firmly believe that I do what I do today because God helped me in every single day. Uh, I don't believe a person living a life without the conscience that God exists um, that can overcome this very hard mental disorders or uh, problems that, uh, you know, that specifically attack veterans that after they've been exposed to very, um, let's say, dangerous situations, to trauma, to very hard circumstances. Um, I believe we, have, we need, we need a, a force stronger than us that I believe that's Jesus. So uh, as I was saying in the, in the beginning, I was about to die uh, several times when I was young. And the doctors always said, why is this guy not dead? So I believe the reason you are here today and the reason you are alive is because God has still has something to deal with you. God, ha God keeps us, us in this earth with breath, with air, uh, with the colors, with the perfumes, everything he created. It's a lot of fun, by the way, uh, because he's still here. He's still available. He still wants to, you know, keep us going and going to the next level. He is the, I think, the most interested person in you that you succeed. And once you discover this, once you discover he's very happy to help you because he loves you, uh, you know, I think that's the biggest discover of any man or any woman that are listening here today. So I, I just want to finish up saying that uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, uh, should, we should do this more times. I think we should put this in media, the mainstream media. Uh, we, we should bring this out to the world um, because those are the real issues, right? Those are the real problems that we need to address as a group, as a country, as a state, as a world citizen. Uh, and I'm very pleased, by the way, Gigi, to be, you, to be invited to this, um, this group to speak. So I hope I have encouraged you. Uh, and uh, I pray that uh, anybody that goes through hard situation, uh, veteran or um, even active duty military, that uh, God bless you. And, 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 and I hope that you meet him and he can take you out of that uh, situation. Thank you very much, everyone, and thanks for having me. Amen. Thank you, Armando. 
Amen. We do have two more speakers, and uh, our next speaker is Dr. Melba del Carmen Victoria Stets. Uh, she works as a psychology professor, a neurofeedback and the biofeedback therapist, and an intuitive spiritual coach. She has served as an army research psychologist, ladies and gentlemen, Lieutenant Conalyn Stets. Hi, how's everyone doing today? Okay, okay, good. So I believe I, I have 10 minutes, right? I'm gonna look at my time. And I have just two slides. Can you hear me good? Yes, ma'am. Okay, cool. Let me see the share screen. I wasn't going to have slides, but then I, I saw the other gentleman do it. And I'm like, well, maybe it's better like that. Can you see that slide? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, yeah, lately I'm putting my whole name on purpose, and that's part of my talk. I'll be talking just um, triple minority survival stories. So it just means that I was born in Puerto Rico. Hopefully some of you know that that's an island in the Caribbean, a US island. And, um, you know, so my first language was Spanish for the longest. And then later on, I was the, I'm gonna put this slide here. I was the first and only one in the military in my house at home. And well, that created a little bit of problem, not only when I was in the military, but um, can you see the whole slide? Sorry, I just wanna make- Yes, ma'am. Okay, cause I see you and I see the slides. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I was used to, I'm in Hawaii right now. But I live in Hawaii, but I used to live in similar weather and it's an island, the mentality of, tropical. Anyway, so when I joined the military as being the first one out of college, I started pre-medicine and then I dropped out because I was not ready. Um, I learned uh, more than normally in Puerto Rico, which is Hispanic. Uh, I learned about sexism. For example, one of my bosses, um, I joined as an enlisted and I retired as an officer. One of my bosses told me one day, um, you need to wear makeup. And I say, no, sir, I don't, because that's not part of my job description. And later on, I turned it into the, you know, the G1 personnel. And they talked to him and he never talked to me again. But I don't care because I, I thought if he's doing it to me, he's going to do it to other people too. So that's in regards to sexism. Many times in the military too, um, I will have people that maybe I outrank, but for some reason when they hear, oh, it's a female or it's a Hispanic or both things, they're like, oh, whatever. So they will call you and they will be like, not nice. And then others will call later on and say, can I speak, for example, can I speak with Colonel Stets? And I'll be like, you want to talk with Colonel Stead? Yeah. And I'll be like, well, speak. And then they will be like, oh, oh, you're Colonel Stead. I'm so sorry. So yeah, there's a lot of sexism in many parts of the military. Um, racism, I already told you about it. Uh, it continue happening. And then a lot of bullies and in regards to you having an accent or not. I think, I believe we all have accents, but that's just me. And seeing that um, 
my last name was Flores, which means flowers, but people in the United States, and we call it in, on the mainland, they will say Flores. And then later on, when I got married, my husband's last name is Stets. They would be like, Flores Stets. I said, just forget it, Stets. So there's a lot of culturalism and subculturalism that we have to adapt, right? I didn't know I have ADHD and my father had given it to me, but at that time, there was, it was not really a diagnosis. So in the military, uh, I was able to sometimes get in trouble, but sometimes I would be able to use that energy for projects. Like my bosses were like, oh, give it, give it to her, give it to her, because I, I would never get tired. So it was interesting being in the military as an enlisted also tech and then reti uh, retiring later on after I finished my three degrees in psychology, uh, I was a research psychologist. And stigma, I mean, they don't wanna check you if you have ADHD, anxiety or anything because you're supposed to be a leader. And since you're a leader, they think that we're like robots. I'm exaggerating, but I'm, today I just wanna talk about the problems. Um, and it, was, it would be very hard which later on, after I deployed, I've been all over, but after I deployed more than a couple of times, um, you know, I, I, I was told that I also had um, PTSD. And you think, oh, wow, you should know that yourself. Yeah, I, I should have, but the denial and the stigma and not do, practicing self-care. And I want to tell everyone that is listening to this, if you don't know the difference, just the basic difference without going to the DSM, et cetera, the way I differentiate anxiety, depression, and PTSD is the anger element. When we feel like we're stuck, and we, that, that anger, anger is really the, the outcome or the result of being in pain, physical or emotional pain. The anger element, anyone that tells you I don't have PTSD, if they say anxiety, depression, and I'm angry, irritated, stressed, whatever, that could be part of it. Also, if it's been more than six months, et cetera. Let me see what else I was going to say. So I went through all the rankings and I would say uh, my heart goes out to you to fellow minorities because as an enlisted, it was tough. I mean, it's, it's tough many times how some, superior, some supervisors abuse their ranks. So I, when I became a commander, I tried my best not to do that. I'm far from perfect, but one of my things is um, telling people how great they did. I made that a practice. When I, when I as a lieutenant, when I took a job in Panama, um, my boss told me, you got two problems. I said, what are those, sir? And he said, you are a lieutenant in a major's job. Okay, got it, sir. And the other one was, and you're a woman. But I proved him wrong. But anyway, it was tough. Uh, down there are the pictures you can see I'm with all the guys when I'm on the left upper left I'm looking at the slide that's me and my dad Kedio uh, Bendega he's passed and that's when I was an enlisted in my in my uh, in the barracks at the bottom we see I'm in training I think I never saw the the sunlight in my life before there <laughs> um, and at the bottom I'm collecting data uh, during 9-11 uh, these are military police uh, soldiers. I, I publish, if you pop med or Google Scholar Melba sets, you'll be able to see some of this. Everything has to do with stress, stress and coping. Um, I'm deployed there at the bottom, you can see virtual reality. That's 
that's something that I like doing a lot. And I brought it to Tripler Army Medical Center here in Hawaii in my studies when I was the, the chief of the Department of Psychology Research. And it's because instead of bringing the soldier that is already traumatized back to that situation or tell them to imagine, we would put something that we both could see, the clinician on, on, or the researcher in clinical research protocols and the patient or the client. So we could see the same thing and stop it. And then we also, would, uh, I'm also double board certified in biofeedback, biofeedback. We would put sensors, electroencephalogram in the brain and in the peripherals, like uh, in the thumb for the pulse, et cetera, to see. Because many times we're in denial. Oh, that doesn't upset me. Really? Look at your blood pressure. <laughs> Very high, right? Moving on, I was able to, to fly a lot and do a lot and great opportunities. I even got the secretary of the army coin. Um, that was afterwards when I retired 2014. I'm still from Puerto Rico, very proud of that. But as you can see, I have no hair, but I'll talk about that in the next talk um, because I had cancer and that was for a long, long, long time. And then down there, I'm, I'm doing more coaching with this virtual reality and the biophysiological systems. Then later on, uh, my father-in-law passed during COVID and it was horrible. And he's like, I'm a cancer survivor and my husband too, we, we went online. So you can see my website there. It's just Dr. Melba Stett because everything else I say, again, my beautiful accent, people start typing it was by the waves and they would type by the ocean and they would think I'm a surf shop. And anyway, then biofeedback therapy Hawaii, but then I went online. So now if you want to find me, drmelbostead.com. Um, I also have chronic pain. I had to also, my, my husband is, is, a, is not military. So many times, as you know, the fellows here, military, when we talk, we say hua or we say hoorah or check, got it. And that's rude in many places. So I had to, work on stop doing that or saying that at least with the one that don't, don't have a military background. Um, someone mentioned, and, and, and um, I share that pride. So I'm a minority veteran uh, and I have some disability. Uh, my own consulting firm is just mine. Um, um, I've published a lot, like I said, but now I'm writing more civilian work. And those are some of the books bestseller and now I'm helping others I'm teaching also a lot of psychology to military campus programs to help the military and this is my daughter and that, that's it and thank you everyone thank you for the invitation it was a pleasure meeting you all thank you Melba thank you. And we are reaching the end with the last uh, speaker. His name is Preek Sadeh Sang, counter-terrorist, counter-insurgency, tactical training, small arms, body armor, and optronics. So uh, Preek, the, the microphone is all yours. Brig, we can't hear you. Okay, okay. Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Can you hear me now? Uh, yes, sir. Good morning from India. Uh, it's uh, it's about uh, 5 a.m. in the morning. And I'm sorry, I'm traveling. I'm in a hotel, so probably the lights are not, the lights are not okay. 
So in next about two to three minutes, uh, because that's the time left with us before we go into prayers, um, I'm just going to very very quickly wrap up. So I'm I belong to family sick of six generations of soldiers. We started in 1856. You know that that's a profession, and uh, my forefathers have fought in First World War and Second World War, and uh, and I am the last now because my son has refused to join army. He's 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 into the uh, I mean the corporate world. So uh, I put in. I just retired. Uh, after 33 years of service in indian army and uh, what i'm going to talk to you about is uh, life after retirement so firstly my personal experience i was quite excited after I retired that uh, i thought i'll uh, spend a lot of time with my family and uh, i mean play golf and you know live my life on my own terms but within one or two months i started getting into a kind of a uh, i mean i started feeling low not i won't say depression but uh, it, it was something you know sitting at home and not doing anything was creeping into your mind and then you know uh, it was some a feeling which i've never got ever in my life because in indian army uh, and i think it's all over in all the armies you know you are very young the moment you retire and if you don't pick up a job and the job opportunities or working opportunities are very less for veterans so you you at the prime of your fitness physical fitness mental fitness of course i'm uh, speakers have talked talked about uh, post traumatic stress disorders those are also there with us but at the prime of your uh, uh, peak physical and mental fitness one has to sit at home and then you age very fast because uh, of not working and then eventually you you end up in a i mean you, uh, you you die very fast i've seen it i've actually seen it and especially soldiers in our case officers a brigadier in uh, retired at 56 years of age but soldiers retired as early as 40 years of age so and 40 is too early for a person to retire and generally the job opportunities are not are not there so how do you cope up so there are uh, many programs in uh, in uh, in india where you know uh, the corporate is now hiring like amazon is also got a military to corporate uh, program where they are hiring people in india but uh, the very peculiar problem is that most of our soldiers come from a, a village background you know they they are the ones who go back to their uh, uh, places their hometowns which are far away these are the villages they are and they don't know to leave and then they end up you know in this kind of a scenario so, so this is akin to i will say a kind of a stress disorder which is uh, it's a real problem a life problem and uh, i mean uh, this we have to address this problem and uh, right now i said i'm traveling it's because uh, i have joined a corporate world you know it's a new uh, dive i have taken into uh, in a b2b company that is business to business in e-commerce and this is something very new but when the by interview was taken they asked me this they said why should we hire you you know you are a soldier you have uh, i mean chased uh, terrorists all your life and suddenly you are here with us in a corporate world and uh, and that to an e-commerce business so okay unfortunately th this has come to an end now this this event and um, we just truly appreciate each of you thank you to our speakers and our sponsors 
And uh, again, just thank you everyone. And remember when you come in contact with a veteran to always say thank you for your service. And at this time, we will close this event with a prayer by Amy. Well, um, thank you, Lord, for all of our service members and their families um, here today and who aren't here today. I pray that each one of you and your family members are able to take their next step with courage, honor, and faith. And remember that although fear is normal, courage gets the final say. So God bless. Amen. Thank you all. Amen. God bless you and be safe. Thank you.